Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Hey, Chris. You feeling motivated today? Dude. <laughs> you know, like everything, uh, we get into it, and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man, no doubt. Uh, I was... Uh, I did a podcast uh, yesterday and the person that I was chatting with, uh, I kind of, I expressed this mindset, skill set, tool set concept to him. And he's like, he asked me the question, how, what, what percentage is mindset versus the others? And I just said, I, the only way I could answer it was just by saying, look, mindset, give mindset the biggest possible percentage you can and still account for skill set and tool set. And that's the way to think about it. Mm. And, uh, you know, ever since I said it, I've been kind of replaying that conversation in my head to see if it's true or not. And the more I think about it, the more true it is for me anyway. Yeah, I would, I would give witness to that. It has been over and over again, the most true thing, uh, that I can experience, but I love the way that you said it, you know, give space still to skill set and tool set. We're not skipping over them. Right. That really is so much of the heart that we're going to get into when we get into applying today's powerful lesson as we continue this journey. Um, so question for you before we even introduce and remind them of the journey, do you always feel motivated to do the things you do? No, hell no. Yeah. So what do you do when you're not motivated? Well, uh, that's a great one. Um, you know, it's interesting. What do I do when I'm not motivated? I mean, what I'm a big believer in the idea that preparation creates motivation. I also believe that preparation relies on motivation. So um, it can be a case where I'm not motivated because I'm not prepared. And so I can kind of go back and be prepared. But I think the that that serves certain circumstances. Um, I think a lack of motivation simply means that I haven't, in a big picture, I haven't attached myself or haven't attached or I've become unattached to the goal, the big picture, the purpose, the why behind everything. And if I can reconnect with that, then I'm, then at least I'm intellectually there for me, a big part of motivation is the emotional side of it. Uh, for me, it doesn't help to just be rationally connected. I have to be emotionally energized, which is, uh, you know, I think probably not uncommon. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think we've talked about this, but I have a a model that, that I go through on vision and all vision starts with where you're bothered. The next step is you prepare, but you're coming out of that emotion. So we want to learn to build out of emotion and, and kind of like, you know, the kindergarten level of this is to build out of emotion, but sadly, as you age, you start going 
through the motions, skipping over emotion, and you lose this connection to the big idea. You lose this connection to the goal or something's changed in you. It's not an authentic part of who you are anymore. It's bad energy. It's something that you need to cut out. All this is just the reflection of we're developing and ongoing and growing. But what's exciting about today, and this you'll see how this connects to the other lessons. So you don't have to have heard the other parts of this series to get today, but these are all connected. And and what you're going to find is, as we talked about in the last episode, as you upgrade the infrastructure, you're going to hit these moments where the, the emotion isn't there. And maybe the motion isn't either, or maybe you are going through the motions and, and what do you do about all that? So yeah, I love the way that you're being honest about that. I think we have an expectation that we're just supposed to gut it out. Right. Uh, you know, how many people have you talked to in your work where they're doing something because they thought they were supposed to, or supposed to do it that way. The shoulds in life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and here we are, you and I have the audacity to do work that we love, to build our lives the way we want to build them. And that's not just something that we, I don't know about you, tell me if I'm wrong. We don't float around with care bears on clouds. Everything is just easy. And like, that's what I want to do. So I'm going to do that. Man. So what do we do about this idea of motivation? Now, as we get into this, um, the thing that we see people do so much, and I want to get your comments on this specifically as it pertains to sales, is to start to really just only think about performing. Am I winning? Am I closing the deal? Am I hitting my numbers, right? And we're not saying that doesn't matter. But when you're focused on performing, you're skipping over very often the fundamentals, the, another P word, practice, as they say, practice makes perfect. And so we want to, we want to distinguish between these two words, performing and practice and challenge the way you think about it. Now, how many times have you been called in or have you seen Jimmy, a situation in sales where somebody's performance was stellar and then it wasn't? Almost shifted. It it happens all the time. All the time. Uh, yeah, in most sales teams, the experience is that, um, you know, a, a person can get a big account uh, and be carried to the number one position in it for a year, for in a year, for example, and never repeat, right? Because they got lucky, because some confluence of circumstances helped them achieve that. And it's not to take anything away from the achievement, but the fact that they can't repeat it is an indication that they haven't learned how to, you know, make or build a system that makes sales more predictable and repeatable, right? This idea that it's a game of probability and the goal is to win more than you lose and win bigger and lose smaller over time. So if you're not winning more than you lose and winning bigger and losing smaller over time, then you're not focused on the how. You're not aware of what's working and not working. And that's probably because you're, you're not focused on or considering how to improve your practice. Mm, yes, yes. So that's the big truth bomb that we have for you today. And we're going to walk you through the application of this. But that uh, it's not that practice just supports 
performance. Instead, practice is everything. How you do anything is how you do everything, as uh, the saying goes. And this is so true to our lives, to our leadership, uh, to every part. You know, if I'm learning to talk to my daughter in a distracted way, and I do that and I tolerate that behavior with myself, then I'm practicing incorrectly. So that when there is a real, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, performance moment, I've already been practicing in a dysfunctional way and I'm talking to her distracted. So we want to learn to be the kind of people that are present in the moment. We're present with our practice. We're, we're paying attention to it. Uh, the conversations, the way we have them, you know, when I used to approach sales as win, lose, I just had to win at all costs, even buying a car. And we told that story on a way earlier episode when I was very young, I was practicing in the moment continually what it meant to try to win at all costs. So when the conversations happened that had bigger implications, I was already in a habit and a routine of that. Um, and so we want to peel back the layers on this and give you an X-ray vision on it. I'm curious, Jimmy, where in your life, you've talked a lot about in a beautiful way, the shifts you've been through, the transformations you've been through, just something fun. Was there anything in your life where you practiced it wrong? And, and you didn't really realize it until some time had passed. I've yeah. got one for you. Well, I mean, off the, off the cuff, I mean, the easiest example is, um, you know, having the wrong idea about how to sell, mm. right? So if, you know, in the early days when it was, I was practicing the wins methodology, but the why behind it wasn't customer centric it was me centric right so it's easy to, for me to remember back to uh you know trying to trying to make the only way to make a sales methodology work when you're self-centered is to be manipulative mm -hmm. because you have to hide the fact that you're doing it just for yourself mm -hmm. right as that me centric number centric type person and so you have to make people believe you care about them. And so, yeah, I practiced at being more manipulative in my early days. Uh, yeah. Today, I can practice being more customer-centric. Yeah. I mean, right now where I'm practicing something is being even more true to my values in interactions, not mending them. But I'll tell you one real practical from when I was a kid. Dude, this had huge implications on my daily joy. So, Jimmy, when I learned to ride a bike... I never learned how to stop. So, so I got to the point that I could ride, but I never learned how to stop. So I literally would ride, get to where I wanted to go, kick a leg over on the seat, and then just jump off. Well, after I, I jump could off. Go flying. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was damaging my bike. I was bending the wheel. It was terrible. And I'm hurting my daily joy because I want to ride my bike all the time, you know, at that age. But I practiced incorrectly. And once I had done it once that way and never paid the price to learn how to do it right, I then got into a repetitive pattern on it. And I don't remember even now the point it happened uh, that I actually started learning how to stop on my bike correctly. But that's the thing we want you to understand today. We're going to teach you how in this episode, what it means 
after you appreciate what we're saying, how to walk through this in a very, very practical way. But the idea is that we're continually practicing. Every moment is forming us and shaping us. And there is no hard distinction between practice and performance. Yes, performance matters. But if you can have a practice mindset in all you do, this is how you're transformed. So as we dive into this, first point of application is we want to give you the mindset of practice. We want to challenge you to the mindset of practice. We want to encourage you to the mindset of practice. Uh, One time I was in the gym. Jimmy and I saw this guy doing arm curls. And rather than doing the arm curls, how you can imagine someone would do it, he was letting the weight swing down beside his hip and he would twist his arm and swing it up repetitively, quickly, sloppily, just fast. And you could tell the motion. You could almost like you could visualize the elbow was being damaged more than the bicep was being built. And this is the idea of practice. So when you hold the mindset of practice, you understand, in a sense, you're always in the gym. In a sense, you're always working out. You're putting in that effort. You're being shaped by what you're doing. What for you would you say would be the top, you know, three ways that you see in sales, people swing that weight around and do damage to themselves more than good? Yeah. You know, uh, the first most obvious thing is, uh, you know, when a salesperson's hired, the if they receive training, it's product training, right? So yes, we train our reps, but we teach them about our product. And, and so when you teach somebody about your, your product, what's the first thing they want to do? They want to teach the customer about the product. So they're really only prepared to be solution-centric. Um, what about teaching them about the customer, mm-hmm. what their wants, impacts, and needs are, you know, what problems we're trying to solve, who do you, who are the ideal folks, you know, who are the ideal folks to reach out to, all that stuff. That's all the stuff that as a new rep, I now have to go talk to the top performer in the team, learn all that, ask lots of questions and, and then, you know, chase people down to get the mentoring and kind of advice that I need to be successful in the organization. I know that because as a top performer that I need that information, how do I get it? I have to go scrounge it up. So organizations, the first mistake they make is by teaching their reps all about their products instead of teaching them about the, how their buyers make buying decisions. And frankly, the reason they're not teaching is because they don't know. They're mm-hmm. not capturing that data. They're not, they're not um, developing that data. They're not improving and innovating around that data. Um, you know, I think, you know, we all, as we all heard the rules, right? You have two ears, one mouth, use them in the proper proportion Uh, (laughs) when we're selling. Uh, But, you know, it is so easy for a rep to ask one or two questions, really just designed to to uncover needs. Then once we have a couple answers, we then go right into the recommendation. And so we can practice that scenario but what about asking deeper questions? What about asking questions that challenge the buyer? What about asking questions that push back? What about asking questions that the buyer can't answer to really get to a point where you understand the depth of their expertise and the limits of their expertise so that you can understand where their needs begin, uh, their true needs begin, not just the needs wrapped around the capabilities of your product. So we tend to oftentimes practice 
good habits to a point, and then we, you know, prematurely jump into the quick close. Mm. Uh, you know, and so, and then I think the third one is this idea of tension, right? We teach people uh, that a sales meeting, there has to be a tension cycle that you manage as a sales rep to move somebody through a, to a comfortable buying decision, right? People love to buy as much as they hate being sold. In the two scenarios I talked about where you're just more customer, I'm sorry, product centric, uh, pitching the product that you've been taught to pitch, and you're asking limited questions, just enough questions so that you can, you know, make a recommendation that is your solution. In both those scenarios, the buyer is going to feel like they're being sold, mm. right? We, we love to buy as much as we hate being sold. How do you make them love to buy? You ask enough questions and you manage the tension cycle so that you, when you meet them for the first time, you can leverage rapport to lower the tension in the relationship. And that asks the kind of questions that expose the wants, impacts, and needs that create the problem that they have, raising tension, right? Uh, um, addressing um, the limits of their understanding of where they are and what and what the, the best possible solution could be. And then lowering tension by talking about your recommendation and solution, and then closing for the next step in the relationship when tension is low. Too many of us try closing when tension is high, for example. So we practice closing skills, which shouldn't really need to be practiced, right? If we're not manipulating people, the close should be more of a natural component of, of a of a well-run meeting. We can be practicing closing and and really practicing uh, at and closing at the wrong time when tension is high, which means we're going to the more we tr- the more we practice, the less successful we're going to be. Right. So it's again, it can all of the, these three things can can combine make sales and selling feel really difficult. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was awesome. And I have to imagine there were listeners that are like, I, I need all three of those. I fix all three of those. And what we can tell you is go back and check the earlier episodes where you are taught by Jimmy through the wins model, because you, the wins model will protect you from the mistakes. It's like, how do you learn what counterfeit money is? You can't study all the counterfeit money. You study what's real so much that the counterfeit, you recognize it. So the wins model is real. It'll teach you how to recognize these moments that are counterfeit to the success you seek and who you want to become, right? I mean, all of this could be framed under this idea that becoming matters more than achieving. Because if you focus on who you're becoming, the achieving takes care of itself. If you focus on the achieving, you're going to compromise your values. And at some point, you're going to hit the edge of your abilities and develop negative stress responses and not be able to stay fluid and play at the highest levels of your performance and game, which really takes us to this next piece here, not just the mindset of practice, but the skill set of practice. So as we start to build the skill set of practice, uh, before we even get into the, to teaching people how to do this, you know, why isn't that more, why isn't it that more people really become this dynamic version of who they are. We know so few people, the studies show it, so few people maximize the potential of who they can become. So few sales uh, professionals go as far as they can in their impact and their income 
Why is it that we so settle on a standard of mediocrity? Because at some point, we just start phoning it in on the practice, right? We may not full of, in, in a you know, completely dramatic way, be passive, but we just settle for a standard. Good enough is good enough. And we're not challenging ourselves or we're not put in circumstances that are challenging us and growing us. Uh, so as we start to talk about the skill set of practice, um, what for you, Jimmy, have you seen that would give you a clue or a signal someone is really maximizing their potential or be a clue or a signal that they're they're settling for a lower standard? Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's a great question, man, because you were right where my head was when you were talking about this. So so we have this, um, we have this, you've seen the curve uh, where we talk about you know, there's, there are uh, two paths to change, but only one path to growth. And we talk about that in the context of a definition, a universal truth that we talk about that uh, growth is the mastery of change, right? You can't grow without experiencing change. And there are two paths to change and only one path to growth. And so when change occurs, we can either choose to walk the path of complacency or we can walk the path of curiosity, um, the path of curiosity will lead to growth the fastest because we make decisions with a higher level of clarity. If we're on the path of complacency, the only time it can lead to growth is after we hit crisis, which jolts us out of that complacency. And then after crisis, we get very curious. But what ends up happening is after, after we've grown or we've had some success, if we rode that complacency curve to start, we're going to end up back on that complacency curve unless we make the shift to being more curious. So to answer your question, I find that people develop that or are displaying a level of that fixed mindset uh, when they're on that complacency curve. And they're less curious, which means they're probably less certain that they can do anything about their performance which means, okay, I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to be complacent. I'm just going to hang out, chill here. And I'm going to even maybe even resent anyone's attempt to help me improve. Whereas when I ride that uh, curiosity curve, I tend to display more of a growth mindset. Hmm. And, you know, believing that there's always a better way, there's always room for improvement that I can always level up uh, no matter how good I'm getting. And what's really funny is that uh, top producers get complacent just as much as bottom producers do. Um, and so it's not really about, it's not really about, you know, comparing someone to, a t to the rest of the team, right? Because uh, we might have a top performer and we might be able to below that top performer, identify all the middle and bottom performers. But I don't care if you're a top performer compared to all the mediocre people on your team. What I care most about is, are you reaching and redefining your potential? Yeah. Right. I mean, are you pushing yourself, stretching yourself? Are you looking to see how much you can do? And so that's so if, you know, if people are judging themselves based on the other, other mediocre people on their team, then I'm concerned about that. Right. I'm concerned about them looking for a reason to not grow anymore and maybe even developing that fixed mindset. That's awesome. I love it. I mean, really, the evaluation here 
is not a comparison point to other people, but who you can become. And if you do that, you're ascending or descending. Which one is it? Are you getting better or are you not? And, and yes, you're going to hit some plateaus. That's normal. But if you stay with it in those plateaus, that's where the breakthroughs occur. And so, okay, well, let's give them the juice here on how to stir up the curiosity. So we, we want a mindset of practice. If we're going to get into the skill set of practice, how do we stir up the curiosity? This takes us back to what we opened with. It's the emotion. If you don't learn how to deepen, cultivate, and access emotional states on demand, you will always be a victim of your circumstance. The word we use in high performance is trigger. Now, culturally, that word has been stolen, if you will, to mean something only negative, right? You're, oh, trigger warning, this is about to happen. Uh, which what's sad about that is it removes the person of agency. I get to determine within myself, right? My, my responses and how I'm reacting. But we think about it as negative. We still think about it in terms of strong emotion. It's just negative strong emotion. What we want to do is think about it in terms of strong emotion, period. Therefore, a trigger can be positive or negative. And the most high-performing people learn how to access, cultivate, and deepen emotional states on demand, how to link it to their goal, like you were talking about in the opening, how to link it to the things they're curious about. So we want to learn to build triggers. How do we do it? This is the skill set of trigger building. It's just got really a few elements. One is moving your body or activity. Another is music, what you're hearing. Another would be what you might eat, tasting, or smelling, or touching. And then oftentimes there's a component of internal visualization or imagination. What you get to do as a human, if you want to be at your absolute best, is learn to build triggers. Now, a few examples that have been helpful to me over the years. You know, I had a trigger when I used to get home and my kids were little and put the car in park. And I would walk through a meditative sequence. Um, I, I've built triggers for a number of years. One of my favorite triggers was with trail running, pine trees, and a certain song. So the scent of the pine tree with a certain song in the expressed effort of trail running, I would combine all of that to concentrate that emotional juice, that state down into something I could get on demand let's say it was a day that I really needed to access that strong emotion and I couldn't go trail run and I couldn't go sm smell the pine trees. What could I do? I could just play the song. If you, if you experiment with trigger building and you work on this and you do it somewhere from what we found working with people around 30 to 60 times, eventually you can recreate the song in your head. So I have one for deep relaxation. I have one for napping I have one for high performance. You know, you'll, this is what world-class athletes do. They learn, they've built their skill, their skill set to build a trigger, to be where they need to be emotionally. So, you know, you think about how could a sales leader or a person in sales apply what I'm throwing out here today? Great question. What comes to mind for you? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it seems to me, Chris, a trigger has to be something, does a trigger have to be something personal uh, that's easily 
accessed, you know, in that moment? Does it have to be something that comes from, from within you or can it be something that comes from outside of you? Like, how do yeah. you, how do you think about that? Well, it could be both. I mean, the, the thing that if I, if I'm a sales leader leading a sales team, I, I don't want to leave it to chance and we'll get into this in a minute, but it might be that I'm creating the trigger. And before we go out for the week, we're having this meeting and I'm playing the song and I'm connecting it to an idea. Maybe we're doing a visualization meditation with it, whatever we're doing to compress this signal and get it embodied. Um, but no, it doesn't have to be internal. If, if I am in sales though, and I want to be at my absolute best and I have something that's coming up that feels stressful and or challenging, I want to get enough reps in on this trigger to practice that sequence before I go into that meeting so that I'm able to be fluid at my best, focused more on the practice of the moment and the performance of it. That's the key idea. So is this, is this uh, akin to maybe a sales person listening to a certain type of music before they go into a sales meeting? And I'm, I'm channeling a certain episode of The Office. When I think. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's a, that is a beginning understanding to this. But for those that want to go deep into the psychology of it and, and the highest performers in the world, billionaire hedge fund managers, professional athletes, world-class athletes, they don't leave any of this to chance. They build internal sequences with music, activity, one of the other senses or a number of them, taste, touch, smell, and internal visualization. You know, so it's, they're not imagining just winning the NBA championship. They're imagining them being in a flow state draining shots. So you're not imagining closing the deal. You're imagining the calm composure through which you walk through the wins model. Right. And that's the key. What, if anything, does that bring up for you as a question? Well, I think, statement? yeah, I think, I mean, I think individual. So for me, the, the, the obvious observation is that um, there has to be some predictability in our, in the way that we behave. So for this to work, I can't be this random human being that just, you know, goes with the flow and does whatever comes natural. I mean, this goes back to the idea of having a process or developing patterns um, that you replicate at very specific times um, in certain situations to achieve the objective. So it really, it really requires a level of discipline and commitment to uh, something, developing the things that are predictable and repeatable. So if you're someone that, that loves process, invests in process, and is willing to adapt and adopt different processes at different times. It seems like this would be doable for folks who just like to wing it. It seems like this would be a particular challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So there are personalities that gravitate towards these kind of things and those that don't. And here's the thing for those that don't love the process, they actually, that, that's not something to hate about yourself. That just means there is a, there's a fluidity fluidity there's a, there's a more intuitive sense to the way that you're wanting to spontaneously follow the feeling. And that can be really good. It can also be damaging. You want to learn to hone and upgrade your intuition. And so if you're very process-oriented, you probably need to relax a little bit. If you're not as process-oriented, 
don't be afraid to button up some and get some of this in your life because why? It goes back to the mindset. We want to be at our best. The practice mindset that says, I want to learn to trigger my mind and heart to do things with thoughtfulness and intentionality. I don't want to live in this middle of mediocrity. I want to learn to be fully on and fully off. And as I do that in that mindset, I build this skill set through starting to work through some kind of trigger sequence. And then over time, what do I have? Ah, I have a tool set. And I can grab from my tool belt what I need to help me show up and be at my best. And so some of you listening to this right now, you are great at sales and you're leading well, but you're being tapped to do more and more in sales leadership. Maybe your VP or your team leader is asking you to speak and share more in meetings. And you might feel really comfortable being with clients, but you feel like your pants are on fire, nervous to get up and speak in front of the room. This means you are in new territory. You're taking new ground. You're expanding and growing as a leader. It's a great time to start building a trigger sequence that helps you stand up and speak and do that from a state or a mindset of it's all practice. It's all about who I'm becoming. You know, if, if, if people are listening to this and they're growing into a new area of responsibility or challenge or expansion in their sales uh, career or in their leadership, wonderful tool so that you step into it and are as successful as possible. There's going to be learnings, right? That's the point of practice. If it's all practice, I can fail. I don't have to beat myself up. I might sweat in front of the room the first time I talk to him. Part of the growth, part of the growth. So if we think about this for really this, this intended audience for this series, everybody's going to get value out of it, right? But this intended audience of leaders in sales, um, how would you encourage them to create feedback loops? Why is that so important and how do they do it to really make sure they're cultivating a state of practice on the teams they lead? Yeah. You know, just off the top of my head, Chris, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we recognize or identify with sales leaders, and I don't care if you're a VP managing two or three managers or a chief revenue officer managing VPs on down. Um, I can ask, oftentimes when I ask a leader how much they know about each of their team members, it's surprising how little information they have. Hmm. Uh, and the most important information, like what are their goals? Not what goal did you assign them in the context of the larger target revenue target for this quarter? What are their personal goals? What are their professional goals? How well do you know them individually? Because at the end of the day, the measure of a, of a leader's effectiveness is not... Um, is not just in how they manage the team mm. and hold folks accountable. It's how well do they understand each individual on the team. And it seems to me that if, if a leader understands what each of their team members wants as a human being, an individual, and how that connects to what they want as the leader, right? Shared goal. They can serve that shared goal 
and they can walk them down a shared path to achieving that goal only if they have a good understanding of who they are. Mm. And, and that individual is not going to take coaching from somebody who they don't respect. Mm-hmm. And who do they respect? The people who understand them, who they understand. There has to be a level of understanding of, of uh, commitment and information sharing between a leader and the people that each individual in their team to make the leadership uh, role work and to execute that leadership role at its fullest potential. And this is a long way of saying at the end of all this, um, now as a leader who understands each member of their team, I can leverage this idea of triggers to help each individual personalize their approach to how they overcome whatever specific challenge they're facing and whatever specific challenge I can see or recognize in them as their leader. So if I can help somebody understand how to how to uh, develop their own personal trigger to address their own personal challenge, man, that's a wonderful um, place to end up uh, after investing so much time and effort learning about the team, knowing about the team, building rapport, earning that respect, earning the mantle of leadership, and then bringing to the table something as powerful as this to help each of those individuals level up their capability and 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 contribute a le- at a level to the team that they all want to, right? Nobody wants to be viewed as an underperformer, right? People want to want recognition. They want respect. They want to perform. And if a leader can help them get there, improve the systems and so forth to make it happen, man, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. What a beautiful way to to close this episode down that you as the leader of leaders in sales, you're like a coach and you can't help them practice correctly and go as far as they can without being connected to them relationally. Um, and you're not connected relationally in a utilitarian way. It's, it's holistic. You care about them as humans and you want to help them be at their best. So love that, love that framing and uh, go out there, people grow yourself, practice in everything you do. We can all get better. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.